Well, church, it's good to see you guys this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a cold morning, isn't it? At least, uh, at least it's the start to winter. Um, hopefully, hopefully we have a light winter, but um, good to see you guys this morning. Um, I, I, my name is Pastor Jonathan. Actually, um, I'm the worship pastor here. You didn't see me on stage this morning because I'm going to be bringing the message to you and um, really just blessed and honored by the opportunity. Um, Pastor Brian is actually in the house, but he got to go on a hunting trip this week. And um, we want to just uh, just thank him for just allowing, allowing me the opportunity to speak and, and just his leadership here at this church. We, we're amiss without, without our lead pastor at the helm of the ship, and so we want to just thank him for what he does. Um, but he's here in the house this morning. He's back. I don't know. Did you kill anything, Pastor Brian? Not talking about it. All right. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll just leave that one where it is. But hey, like I, like I said, we are, um, I'm going to actually uh, pick up his series where he left off. We're in this series called Connecting with God. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about just our relationship with God and our intimacy with God as we spend time with him. And so I want to just uh, take us into the word again this morning. We're going to be going to Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open and, and get, that, get going that direction. Somebody came up to me this morning and asked me, what version of the Bible do you use? And I said, oh, I'm using the ESV. I don't know what Pastor Brian uses. I think it's NIV. But um, if you're trying to follow along with me, um, it is going to be the ESV version. So just not to confuse anybody this morning. But why don't we pray? Let's ask God to just really bless our time in his word and really to, to teach us um, that, that we might grow in our intimacy with God. So let's, let's bow our heads and offer God a word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, already for what we've received from you. God, as we've been able to just uh, gather as a church and be in community together, lifting your name up through these worship songs, God. Thank you, God, that um, you are worthy of all of our praise, worthy of all of our adoration. And so, Lord, as, as we gather together today, we pray, God, that uh, through, through your word being spoken, God, that you would be glorified, you would, you would reach our souls, God, that your spirit would just have full freedom, Lord, for, for us to just uh, listen in and learn and, and grow and, and apply what you've given to us today. Thank you, God, that we can come to you in prayer and that, Lord, you, you listen to us, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray, God, that we grow deeper and learn more this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, um, jump into Matthew chapter 6 with me. To, um, to let you know where I got the sermon, where, where we're going this morning, I just need to let you know that I ripped it off of somebody, okay? It's not a good move for pastors to do, but this time I'll tell you it is, okay? Because um, this sermon that I'm going to preach actually came from what I would say is the greatest preacher there ever was and the greatest sermon there ever was preached. That's because it starts in Matthew chapter 5 and it was actually Jesus who was preaching a sermon. It was called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so, so if, you, if, you're, if you're there in Matthew, if you just flip a page back, you'll see that this sermon begins. And I want to give you a little bit of background to, to what Jesus is speaking about because we, we need to know this in order to apply it into our own lives this morning, okay? And so, so we're, going, we're going back to Matthew chapter 5 before we get to 6, and we see that there are lots of crowds coming and gathering around Jesus. He's, he's started to heal people that were sick and afflicted, oppressed. That's actually in chapter 4. 
4. And in verse 25 of chapter 4, it says that great crowds were starting to follow Jesus. Chapter 5 begins, and it says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And so you can just picture Jesus up on top of a mountain with all these crowds of people just really, really wanting something from Jesus. They all probably wanted a few different things. A lot of them wanted healing. A lot of them were religious people that were, were coming to Jesus and, and wondering, who is this guy? What is he doing? What is he all about? Can we actually trust his word? And then we have these disciples, Jesus' closest followers that were there sitting right up close, right at his feet, listening to the words of Jesus. And so, so Jesus, his, his, the whole point of his sermon from Matthew ch chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 is about one thing, and it's about the kingdom of God, that we might be kingdom-minded, heavenly-minded in the way that we worship our God. And so you'll see that he, he, he starts with the Beatitudes, which we could spend a whole sermon there. Um, he, he goes through, through talking about how, how you, you appear to be religious on the outside. You do all these religious things on the outside, but yet your heart is far from me. He talks about anger. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about all these things, external things that Pharisees and Sadducees were doing, but they thought they were pleasing God, but, but at the heart of it, really, they were just putting on a show. They were doing what they were doing just externally, and their hearts were far from God, and that's what Jesus was communicating. Well, with that, we move into chapter 6, where he communicates further about doing things before others to be seen by them. And if we do things to be seen by others, then we have our reward. And, and as he's talking in chapter 6, he, he talks about three subjects. He talks about giving to the needy, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting, those three things. And so we see prayer is right in the middle of them. And so that, that's where we want to pick up. It's actually chapter 6, verse 5 this morning. And I want to just get into the text, and then I'm going to personalize it for myself before we, before we get any further into what I call the, the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer. So, so start with me in chapter 6, verse 5. And he tells us about how we should pray. We're in, in this series on prayer, connecting with God. And uh, I think it's very important that we listen to the words of Christ when, when we hear about how we should approach him ourselves. So here's, here's what he says. Verse 5, chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Let's just stop there a second. So Jesus is giving some instructions about prayer. And his instruction about prayer is much like his instruction about giving to the needy. And if you look on further, it's just like his instruction about fasting. When you fast, when you give, don't do it to be seen by others, because if you're seen by others doing it, then you have received your reward, okay? Uh, you, you can probably, probably recognize this um, with, with this phrase. I, I like to use it to, to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, my heart's in the right place when it comes to w when I do things that would appear to be spiritual, is that recognition is your reward. Recognition is your reward, okay? And so if you're doing something 
for God, try to do it in secret. That, that's what Jesus is essentially saying. Don't do things to be seen by others. Don't, don't lift your hands in worship just so that maybe the other people in the church maybe will, will see you as, oh, you're engaged in worship, okay? Uh, or or don't, don't, don't be all, all you know, s- maybe make a show of giving. I don't know about you, but when, when I was a kid, we had these bags that they would pass around as offering plates. And um, it was like a bag that was attached to a wooden handle. And so my friends, when it came down the row, we'd stick our hand in it, we'd, we'd jiggle around the coins, and it looked like we were like giving a lot of money. Okay, it was kind of a funny thing that we did. But, but it was like, you know, don't do things as a show. Sometimes, sometimes Christianity feels like a show sometimes. And, and that, that is not what we need to show our world. We need to show people genuine faith. It's not about others, it's about God himself. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It matters what God thinks about you. He looks at our heart. And that's why he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. They have received their reward. You know, it actually reminds me of um, a passage in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus was giving a parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. It says in Luke chapter 18, verse 10, that there were two men, this is Jesus giving a parable, there's two men who went up to the temple to pray. And one of them was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. That was basically his prayer. Well, Jesus said, and the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up toward heaven. But instead, he beat his breast. And I would imagine falling to his knees. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what Jesus comments about that is this. I tell you the truth. This man went down to his house justified for everyone rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think that has a lot to do with our prayer life. And it's, it's an encouragement to us that when we pray, when we approach God, the first thing that I think we need to do is we need to check our own heart. Check our heart. And not be hypocritical in our prayer life. We're just getting started, folks. That's the first verse. Let's keep on going. But when you pray, this is verse 6. But when you pray, here's, here's, here's something for us. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Man, I think if we could get this right, we'd probably get our prayer life right. So can I just get personal with you? I struggle obeying that verse. 
and I, maybe you don't have to raise your hand, but if, you, if you're willing, who, who else struggles with that? Just stopping, getting into a place alone, and spending time with God. That's what God has called us to do. That's what Jesus tells us to do. No, it doesn't have to be your linen closet or whatever. That's kind of a small space. But get into a room, close the door, shut out all the distractions, and give dedicated time every single day to your communion with God. That's how we connect with God. And I'd say included within that time, silence, the reading of his word, you know, I, I've, I've been doing even some study where it's interesting how, with how engaged we are all day long, every day with these dings and buzzes and, you know, calls that we get on our phone and notifications and all these things that we get bombarding us throughout our whole day long. What our society is seeing is that people are more anxious, people more stressed, people more depressed, and they see there's one practice that really helps them a lot. They call it meditation, but I call it prayer, okay? Because Jesus knew about it. He said, you need to stop. You need to spend some time with me every single day. Get quiet. Shut out the noise. Align your will with my will. and Spend some time with me. You know, the, the world knows it in a different way. But as Christians, we know the author of that. And we know the one that we're going to connect with. The world says, clear your mind. Just move all the thoughts out of your mind. We say, no, don't do that. Move your thoughts toward, toward, the hev- toward, toward heaven, toward the kingdom of God. And your day is going to be awesome. We can live like that. So, get into your closet. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Keep on going, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I don't know if any of you um, are long-winded in your prayers, or maybe you've had a pastors before that were long-winded in their prayers or ministry leaders or, or maybe it was your, your, your dad or your mom at the dinner table and you're just like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You know, we want to eat, okay? Um, that, that's kind of what he's talking about here. He's saying, you don't need to use all these big words. You don't, you don't need to, you know, talk about everything under the sun because I know what you need, And so you don't need to worry about not covering everything. Let your words be few. Just like like that man in the the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, right? He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man went away justified. And it's an example to us. The thing that stands out to me is in verse 8, though. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Father knows what you need before you ask him. I, I, I believe that that is one thing that we need to remember about our God, especially when we go before him in prayer, is that he already knows what we need even before we open our mouth. And so anything that we're anxious about, anything that we're stressed out about, he already knows. 
And Jesus actually, he, he addressed this later on in the text. He actually talks about not being anxious. And I want to just jump forward for you because it's going to point us back to why he then gives us a format for how we should pray. And that's the Lord's Prayer. Verse 25 of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you may have to flip a page to get there, but let's just read it, okay? Basically, he's going to say the same thing. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Nor, store, nor, nor gather into barns, and yet your fa- heavenly Father feeds them. Here's a question. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which he does, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So here's how we should respond. It's that there with the word therefore. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. And here it is again. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so because God knows what you need, here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Because, God, you know what I need. I don't need to be anxious anymore. And so, therefore, I can let go and let you take control. God, you are first. I am a distant second. And so, I know that, that you know, leading up to this has been a little bit of a journey, but now we're going to get into talking about how Jesus has taught us to pray. And if you're going to take notes on anything, I didn't, I didn't give you any sermon notes for your bulletin. You'll notice the title is Your Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And that's why I want you to take away something that, that I've learned about prayer. It's that, that it's more about me aligning my will to God than it is asking God to align his will to mine. Okay? Did you get that? I'll say it again. Prayer is not about aligning his will to ours. It's about aligning our will to his. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. If we can pray with that mindset, we'll get it. So here we're going to go into verse 9 of chapter 6. Jesus says this, Pray then like this. Pray then like this. Are you tracking with me? You know, it's interesting in, actually that's verse 9, where he doesn't say pray this, some of us, when we, when we read the words that are coming up next, uh, we've, we've said them for many, many years. Maybe, maybe even as a church, we've repeated them verbatim. And I want to, to just let you know right away that Jesus didn't mean for this prayer to be prayed 
just the way that he, he taught it. He said, pray it like this, but don't pray this, okay? It's not something just to memorize and rattle off, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, power, glory forever and ever. Amen. Did that mean anything to God? Not really. No. Was I even thinking about it? No. But sometimes we do that. And maybe, maybe you've done that in your families around the dinner table. Sometimes my family still does it. But it's meaningless when we do it that way. No, Jesus says, pray it like this. It's a format. It's an outline. It's a way that we are to align our thoughts toward our God. And so what we see before we even get to it is that there is actually three petitions that are toward God, that are referencing our relationship with God, and then there's three petitions that, that we're petitioning about our own needs, ourselves, things that we need, okay? And so that's kind of the format. But again, the whole prayer is geared about God, I don't, I, don't, I don't need you to, to align your will with me. God, help me to align my will with you. So it's a format. Keep on going. He says this, Pray then like this, verse 9, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. What a great way to open. Let's take that first word, our. We're praying not just personally, but we're praying as a family. So we gather in the church. This is, it's easier for us to pray our or us, but that should be something that we think about all week long. We are praying for the family good. We are all part of, if you've trusted in Christ, if you're his child, we're part of the family of God, sons and daughters of God. And so we're praying, God, our Father, you are our Father, okay? Our Father, who art in heaven. Second word is Father. And that can go two ways. If you've had a good Father, you, you can kind of look to God as, as, yeah, I want, you know, I, I see God as, as being a good Father. But if you've had a bad Father, you may not like to use that, that word. What I, what I want you to know is this. God is not like a Father that we have on this earth. His love is unconditional. He never fails. He's, he's always faithful. He's always true. We can never question his motives. He, he, he doesn't get angry like our fathers get angry. He doesn't fail us like our fathers have failed us sometimes. God is our Father who art in heaven. So we're petitioning God's person. Some of the things that, that maybe we could say when, when we pray to our God is, God, I know that you are seated on your throne. God, I know that you're in control. Maybe, maybe think about some of his attributes that he's given the scripture. God, I know that you've made a way when there was no way. God, I know that you're faithful to your promises. God, I know that your kingdom is coming. God, I know that you're, you're pure, you're holy, that you are in full control, that you are all-powerful. Ways that we see God for who he is so we can see ourselves for who we are as we talked about in Isaiah last week, right? God, our Father, our Father in heaven, we're petitioning his person, hallowed be your name. There we're saying that he's, he's in a position of power. 
of holiness, of set-apartness. We don't use that word hallowed very often, do we? Right? Who's used the word hallowed lately? Not me, okay? It's an old word. It's an old word. But it, it's, it's a word that actually we just have used recently. Halloween, right? Okay? Um, it's part of that word. We just celebrated that this past week. Some of you did, some of you didn't, you know. <laughs> but, um, but really this word, if, if you get down to the core of it, you see it used in Scripture other times where even Moses uh, approached God at the burning bush. And what did, what did God say to Moses when he was approaching that? He said, take off your sandals. The place you're standing is hallowed ground. Right? And so, so there's this idea that it's separate, it's set apart, it's pure, it's holy. And we're saying, God, holy is your name. You are set apart. You're to be worshipped, and we want your name to be exalted. Something that we don't see happen too often in our world today. We want to honor and exalt his name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I believe if there's any, any verse in this prayer that we could pray over and over again, it would be this, that God would receive a prayer like this. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Lord, I know what I want, but I want what you want more than that. Your kingdom come. You know, it, it's it's... You know, it's, it's, it's a present reality that God's kingdom has come, but it, it's, it's not come to fruition fully yet. It will come when Christ returns. And so that, that's why he prays your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're petitioning God's person, his, his position, and now his program and his purpose. God, may your will be done here on earth as it is already in heaven. I want that to happen. Too often I think we get this ag agenda, and I think we can, we can even get it especially wrong when it comes to church and pushing forward and advancing what we, what we think is best. But that shouldn't be our prayer. Our prayer should be, God, may your kingdom come. May you build your church God, may your will be done in my business, in my family, in my finances. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is already done in heaven. Now, some of you may be asking, well, I believe God's sovereign. So how, why are we praying for God's will to be done here on earth when we believe he's already sovereign over it? Okay, that, that's a good question. You see in Scripture that there's, there's a difference between um, what I would call uh, a... God's, God's permissive will and God's sovereign will. You read in the book of Job how God uh, had, had the devil come to him and, and said, hey, look at your servant Job down there. You know, I, I bet you if, if you let me do some things in his life, if you let me you know, take away all that he has, that he'll curse you to your face. And what did God do? He said, I'll allow you to do that. It was God's permissive will. He allowed Satan to have a little bit of leash so that he could do something to even stir up Job's faith. That was God's permissive will. And we're praying, God, we don't want you to just permit evil to happen. Lord, we want your full, good, perfect plans to happen 
on earth right now as it already is in heaven. One day Jesus is going to return. He's going to put the devil where he belongs. And his full, perfect will, will will be done. But we're praying for that. We're also praying for ourselves. God, would you make your will happen in my life? There's a beautiful psalm in Psalm 37, verse 4, that says this. I'll read it for you. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. You know, and that's, that's the kind of heart that we want to approach our God. We delight in you, God, before we delight in our own success, in our, in our own businesses, in our own family, in our own advancement in our career, in our own education, God. And when we delight in God first, when we've committed our way to him first, guess what scripture says? Read it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's like giving away your desires will be that thing that brings about what you truly desire, maybe what you don't even know you desire to come about. And that's, that's the power of praying, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray that way. Keep on going. Give us this day our daily bread. That's petitioning God and thanking him for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Literally, if you read it in the original language, it says, give us today what we need today. And it plays into what Jesus was saying about not being anxious about anything, right? But in everything, committing our way to God. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we're talking about God's person, his position, his program, his purpose, his provision, and now his pardon. His pardon. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You may be asking, well, I'm working on a few of my debts, my student loans, my mortgage, you know, maybe some credit cards. Those of you that took financial peace, um, I want to keep on encouraging you. I've, I'm on that journey as well. If you're not, you should get on the boat, okay? Is he talking about that, though? No, he's not. He's not talking about financial debts. No, he's talking about spiritual debts. You know, Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We owe a debt to God. Our sin deserves payment, and that is death. But Scripture goes on and says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise God for that. Jesus Christ has come. He has paid the sin debt that we owed to God. He's made us righteous before Him. And if we've trusted in Him, we can be called sons and daughters of God. He has wiped our debt of sin clear. Okay? And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors, who owe debts against us. And maybe they're debts of anger. Maybe they're even financial debts. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're, they're debts of hurt feelings or things that have been said that, that we just, you know, haven't forgiven yet. But he's saying, 
Forgive us as we forgive those. Keep on going because there's some very serious words that, that Jesus says about that topic in verse 14. You've got to skip a verse to get there. He says this, and this is pretty sobering. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a pretty serious statement, isn't it? And I think we should take it pretty seriously as a church. Does God answer the prayer of, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Yes, he does. And at that moment, we're, we're put into a relationship with God, but the outflow of that relationship with God should be that we are forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. That if, if, if there is a debt that is still left outstanding, that maybe we're holding a grudge against somebody, maybe, maybe we're holding on to hurt and anger and pain against somebody, you know what happens when we hold on to that? God withholds relationship from us so that we can, we can go first to that person and reconcile. I don't think this is a salvation issue. I think it's more of a relationship issue, honestly. But the natural outflow of our relationship with God should be that we are Christ-like in the way that we relate to others. And so we're praying in that vein, and we're acting in that vein. Father, thank you for forgiving my debt. Thank you that because you've forgiven me, I can freely offer forgiveness to those that have wronged me. And I don't have to wait for them to come to me and apologize. I can offer it freely as you have to me. As you have to me, while I was still a sinner, you came and you died for me. Thank you, Jesus. I think that's what we're praying here. Keep on going. Talked about God's person, his position, his program, his purpose, his pardon. Lastly, in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This verse might, might be confusing. It, it may be a petition that may be a little bit um, hard to understand. Does God tempt us to do things that are wrong? Praying God, lead us not into temptation. No, he doesn't. It says in scripture that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So that would be, that would, that would conflict, okay? I believe, believe what we're praying is this, God, keep us from temptation. Protect us from temptation. Send, send your angels around us and guard us from being, giving in to the devil's evil schemes. You know, the devil is, is a, a prowling lion. He's, he's looking for people to devour. He's looking for people to tempt. And when desire has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And so we want to pray, God, would you protect us? Would you protect our church from anger, from hostility, from, from bad motives, from selfish motives? Would you protect us? Would you protect me? Would you help us to love as Christ has loved? Would you help us to be unified and forgiving as Christ has been that for us? That's our prayer. That's our prayer. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. All this is not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's kingdom's sake that we're praying these things. 
And in other texts of Scripture, I, I think somebody added it later. It may be in the King James Version or some of the other versions that you have. There's a, there's a beautiful prelude that happens that somebody wrote after this prayer was done. And they wrote this, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You've probably heard that before. It's not part of Scripture, <laughs> but it's beautiful nonetheless. And it's all about God's kingdom. We want to thank, thank Jesus for what he's done. Destroying the debt of sin that we owe and bringing us into a hope and a, into a relationship with God. And so as we close this morning, these are things that we need to be praying as a church. Again, like I said, don't just pray this thing verbatim. We want to pray this format. Pray, God, I love your person. I love who you are. I know that you're in a position of being hallowed, holy, lifted on high. God, I want your kingdom to come. I want, I want your will to be done on earth, here as it is in heaven, in Traverse City as it is in heaven, in East Bay Calvary as it is in heaven, in my family as it is in heaven, in my work, in my business as it is in heaven, in my career, in my future as it is in heaven. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Bow your heads and pray with me as we close. Let me just say to you, maybe some of the things that I've been speaking about today seem a little bit foreign. Or maybe you're wondering what it really means to walk like this and walk as, as a follower of Jesus. Let me just say this. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus has called each one to respond and to receive him by faith. And you can do that by praying, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? I believe in you. And God, I thank you that you paid my debt of sin. You've given me full assurance of faith in you, Jesus. And I want to be your child. I want to call you my father. And I want to be part of your kingdom and your family. If that's your heart today, why don't you just raise your hand if you want to, want to know Jesus in a fuller, more intimate way. Why don't you just raise your hand if you'd like to know more. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing here in this church. Thank you, God, for the people that you're calling to yourself. And so, Lord, as we close, we want to just be reminded of the way that you've taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, but yours. God, your first, I am a distant second. God, help my will to align with your perfect will. Help me to lay off those things, those distractions that keep me from, from fully engaging in living for your kingdom. Help me to love you more than I love other things. God, I thank you that you're willing and able and your promises are true and yes and amen. And we love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.
Well, church, it's been good to be with you this morning. I encourage you, if you have, have some moments and in your small groups, um, take some time, read through the Sermon on the Mount and go deeper in this text. I think you'll be blessed by it. Um, but uh, for now, if, if you've been here with us for the first time, we're glad that, that you're here. And um, we hope that you guys have a really blessed week. Um, and uh, connect with God. Connect with God in prayer. He's there to listen. He loves you. Okay? So have a great week, guys. You're dismissed. <laughs>